going on, everybody? This is Chris with Wildlife Command Center. Chris Starr back again. And today, I've got Bear Hands Baran, Michael Baran, our fearless leader here at Wildlife Command Center. And we're going to talk about how we need falconry apprentices. We need more and more young people coming into the game. A few other falconry topics like the Harris Hawk egg situation, a couple of snake things, and how we're celebrating 4th of July. We really appreciate you jumping on. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe and share it with a friend. That would be great. Helps the channel grow. And my plan is to grow this bad boy, growing it all the way up to the sky. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you guys for listening. Let's jump on with Michael Bearhands Baran on the Wildlife Command Center podcast. What's going on, Michael? You had just mentioned that you are kind of like looking for an apprentice. Yes, I definitely am on the look, on the focus to finding a really good apprentice. Over the years, I've apprenticed some great falconers. And <laughs> yes, you have. I'm really looking for an apprentice for the 22 23 falconry season because this is a big season. We've got a lot going on, lots going on. You know, the thing about falconry is it is definitely a hobby that connects people. You know, because you've got a, such a intimate connection trying to take a wild bird of prey and train it to take wild quarry with you. So it's one of it's one of those things that definitely connects people. Yeah, I haven't had an apprentice in a few years either. I keep bouncing around, moving around, trying new things out, trying out new places, new species of birds. Yeah, it's probably about that time for us too. You know, if, if you don't keep developing new apprentices often, the unfortunate thing is like falconry had this boom in like the late 60s, 70s, and 80s, and then a gradual decreasing over the years. And now those guys who were my age in the 70s, they're getting pretty old. So they are they're starting to die out, unfortunately. And a lot of this knowledge and experiences are getting lost lost to time and new people aren't being brought into the fold as much, which is a bummer. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like, I don't see as many new faces in the sport as you feel like there really should be. Of course, you know, I'm not as involved in the local state clubs as I used to be, so I really don't see as many new faces as possible. But even like when we go to the NAFA meets, it's like you see all these people Everybody that gets are, older and older. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it's interesting like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm on the look for a new apprentice. It's also a way that I kind of bring people into my world, especially when we consider Wildlife Command Center. Not only do we have facilities and birds available to work with, but... We've also got this centralized location that makes it easy to become an apprentice. Like, I think that apprenticing under me is one of the easiest ways to become an apprentice and get into the sport. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree. You know, you have so much stuff there, so many opportunities to learn, first off, from like all of the birds that are there. Uh huh. We've always got a Harris Hawk that can be flown, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, heck, I've got four high-quality BCs just because we're always throwing BCs at oh, birds yeah. that are stuck in warehouses. Exactly. You know? And you, 
you're happy to go trapping with somebody who wants to trap their red tail, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And because I don't just do it once a year or once every couple of years, I'm out there trapping hawks every week, every other week. And so if I've got an apprentice that's interested and we have a, a hawk in the warehouse, I always say, come on, why don't you go by? We're fixing to go get this hawk out of a warehouse. It's stuck. I'll kind of show you how BC works. And, you know, it's like that opportunity to actually see firsthand exactly what we're talking about, you know, exactly what we're looking at and trying to accomplish with falconry. So it's, it's really easy for somebody to say, hey, I'm interested in falconry. Oh, really? Well, let me show you how we trap hawks, you know, come with us. We're going to go get one out of, out of a warehouse and they get to see firsthand how the BC works. Usually that's enough that they'll get like really locked in. Yeah. Being able to, being able to put their hands on a Cooper's hawk usually, it's pretty cool. Oh yeah. And see the process in a very controlled situation. Yeah. So do you have any prospects? I've got a couple. I've got one that I think is really, she's going to go. She's been a longtime volunteer with Wildlife Command Center, is always at the events, and she's really been working with her husband to collect and acquire all the falconry equipment that's needed. Oh, nice. She have books? Like, is she taking her test soon? Yeah, yeah. So she's supposed to be taking her test real soon. So we'll see, you know. It's definitely one of those things once you, you know, once you get an apprentice, they pretty much lock in with you for life. Always friends. But how about you? What about in California? Anybody interested in falconry? No, not really. Which is a little weird because, you know, it's like, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's more so for you, but isn't it usually like one kind of serious person a year? Yeah. You know, that comes along. Yeah, one and one serious, serious. Yes, yeah, yeah. You always yeah. got people that want to kick tires, you know. Of course, of course. And then you get that, oh man, I don't know. That's a big time commitment. That's a big commitment. I don't know if I can do it at this point in my life. I'm like, well, trust yeah, you me. You have three kids. You will you never be slower than what you are right now because life just keeps getting busier and busier. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It literally, I think, I think it's less so that it gets busier and more so that how we perceive time changes as we age in that the way we perceive time goes faster. You know, think about a kid in timeout. Two minutes of timeout seems like an eternity or... Driving. How about that? Driving when you're a kid under 10, let's say, oh, are we there yet? You know, and like for the adult, it's it's an hour and a half drive. That's nothing to us. You know what I mean? That's just a hop, skip, and a jump. But to a kid who can't sit still, it feels like a literal eternity. Right. You know, I think for us as adults, for you older than me, it seems like it just, I don't know about you, but does it feel like it flies by to you? Oh, absolutely. And you know, part of that perception is the fact that as you get older and mature, as you should, one of those things is you start to take responsibility for more of the things that are happening around you. And and so you typically, most of us 
start trying to control our circumstances. And the more you try to control the things happening around you so that it molds into your lifestyle that you want, the more it seems like you're busy doing stuff. When you're a kid, you're just egocentric. You cry, you holler, you whine, people give you stuff. But when you're an adult, people stop giving you stuff and you have to earn it or manipulate it (laughs) or figure out how to get it. And if you just allow things to happen around you, then you get what you get. If you don't try to craft your life the way you want it, and have things happen the Life way you want just them. just be crafted around you. Then you just get what you get. And so as you mature and you get bigger and you learn that, hey, you can manipulate things around you so that you can get what you want, then you're busy constantly trying to do things. And from a kid's perspective, you know, you're just trying to get some candy or you're just trying to get some, watch some TV or play some video games. Yep. But as an adult... You realize that, you know, you got to choose the internet provider so that you can play the video game, you know? And, and so, you know, you got all these other things. And, and yeah, so as you get older and as you get more and as you mature, you're trying to manipulate more and more of the things around you. And so your time just slips by because you're always busy trying to do stuff. You're constantly thinking about what you can do around you to make things happen the way you want things to happen around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it's just like, that's why I got up at three o'clock this morning and I went to the office. I thought, okay, so, you know, you clarified for me, but I thought, oh, okay, he said 3 a.m. He meant 3 a.m. my time because he's two hours ahead of me and it's 8 a.m. my time now. So he got up at 5 a.m. You know, that's not too bad. No, you got up at 3 a.m. your time. Yeah, because something in my life wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. And the only way I could go fix that is to get up at 3 a.m., drive my happy butt over there, and (laughs) insert my will. You know? You know, that sucks. Let's just say that temporarily. That's not great. But it is cool that there's a person who takes that shift. So by the time everybody else comes in the office, I don't know what they do. But it's already done. Like, that's sweet. That's right. That's a great shift. It really is. And that part of it, them being there at that time, is not of my doing. They used to come in when everybody else came in at 9 a.m. They would come in at 9 a.m. But Mm -hmm. one of the things about me as a leader is that I pay attention to the people around me and I try to figure out what are their needs. And if it's within my means then I craft their world to try to work within their means and what their needs are. And as long as it's not detrimental to my program, then I'm willing to let most people do just about anything if they give me what I need in return. And so that three o'clock shift in the morning, that works for them, you know? Oh, goodness. Hey, Chance has told me for a long time that if it were possible, He's still really considering it. If there was like a 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. shift for Wildlife Command Center and he could do home inspections safely by flashlight, he absolutely would. Okay. (laughs) 
Because, you know, if he could, he's a night owl. He would much rather be active at night than during the day. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that doesn't work out because most of our customers, one, don't want us there at that time of night. And two, you know, they're having issues during the daytime. But, you know, since we, since we changed our hours on the internet everywhere, we don't get very many calls at night anymore. What, you changed them from an actual timeline from what they used to be 24-7? Yeah, we used to have 24-7 up everywhere. And so we started taking all that down because one, we had nobody answer the phones 24-7. Two, we had nobody that wanted to go out and do it 24-7. And then three, there was just no availability either side, answering the phones or going out there and doing it. And uh, so we changed all of the hours everywhere on the internet to be 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And so now that's when people call us, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. We'll get I a straight that's reasonable. We'll get a straight call every once in a while. But for the most part, nah, we don't get any of those late night calls. But, you know, that's like, that's like just changing the things around you to work the way you want it to. You know, like if I didn't want to do skunk trapping anymore, I would just take the word skunk off the internet. You know, all of a sudden we would never get any skunk accounts. Oof, tell you what, I'd kill for a few more skunk accounts right now. Okay, so when we last talked about it, maybe a month ago, you had 57 Harris Hawk eggs in the incubator. Something close to those numbers. What is the update on those? Like, were a bunch of them infertile or? So, two things. Most of them were infertile. Or gotcha. most of them just did not develop. So, there's right now, there's eight of the eggs left in the incubator. And it's what? Way, past, really? way past any hope of them hatching. But, oh. however, they charted. In other words, when, when you put an, an egg in the incubator, as that developing embryo creates and consumes energy in that egg, you know, you got to imagine the egg. It's got a hard outer shell that can breathe. However, all of the energy that is in that egg is inside that egg contained. And as the embryo is developing, it is consuming not only the nutrients, but it's consuming the energy within that egg. And so you lose weight. The egg loses weight as the embryo develops into a chick. And typically, an egg that weighs 100 grams, which is way more than any Harris Hawk egg weighs, but just for easy math, an egg that weighs 100 grams, by the time it hatches, it's only going to weigh 85 grams. It's going to lose about 15% of its weight due to the conversion of energy. So I had, you know, I had eight eggs that charted. They had a regular gradual chart that they were developing inside of it. But for whatever reason, they never pipped. And so at some point, I'm going to open them up here in the next couple of days or so to see how far they developed and then if I'm pretty sure they're going to be fully developed chicks inside the eggs and they just didn't have whatever it is that they needed to hatch. Anyway, I'm going to be reaching out to Tom and Jennifer Coulson because they actually incubate most of their eggs. 
and then they just do the old swaparoo, you know. But for whatever reason, I just have a difficult time. I've, you know, I even changed to a new, a new, more expensive incubator, and still, I think probably next year I'm going to switch. I'm going to go ahead and purchase a couple of the parrot type incubators that only hatch four eggs. They're very, very specific controls on them. They're smaller. And like if you got multiple females that are laying eggs, Harris hawks that are laying eggs, they lay different weight eggs. And also the egg shell has different consistencies. And so if you can keep the four eggs together in an incubator, you can track that particular egg's ability to absorb or to lose water through humidity. And so if, a, if an egg is tracking where it's not losing weight at a regular interval, then you can drop the humidity a little bit so that you're not, you don't have a wet egg. They make smaller incubators that are very, they're actually more expensive, but they're very, very specific to... Super precise. Yeah. And, and they're made so that you're only incubating a clutch of a particular female bird and so if you got fluctuations that are typically the same because all the eggs came from the same parents and they typically have pretty much the same consistency and have the, the density of the eggshells. And so it's just easier. When you're doing a bunch of different hawks from diff- different eggs from different hawks, you know, you can't control if one of them is getting too much humidity. There's nothing you can do about that because you, you might have another that's getting perfect humidity. You can only keep it at one level, and that's for whatever you think is going to be the best for a hatch. So I'm going to try that. But you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of nuance, hatching Harris hawks. It's a lot of nuance, trying to get the things just right and precise. Luckily, I've got Dennis Sammy over here, and he helps me a lot. You know, he's just hatched millions of goshawk eggs. And so he's, he just knows the little nuance things. But even he tells me, he goes, man, I hatch goshawk eggs. I don't know about Harris hawks. I'm like, eggs and egg, right? Nah, goshawk eggs different. <laughs> you know? I mean, I guess. I don't know. I put, when I had my Harris hawks hatch, I threw them in with falcon eggs and they did fine. We didn't change the incubator at all. But I mean, it could have just been because he has a super high dollar precise incubator that cranks out, you know, dozens of high dollar falcon eggs every year that it was just like don't know, you know, you really do get what you pay for in an incubator. Yeah, that's true. We hatch a lot of chicken eggs, but man, I swear a chicken egg will hatch in a cardboard box. Yeah, man, you throw it in the corner of the room and it's going to hatch. <laughs> it's crazy how resilient a chicken egg is. So I had the great idea this year that I had this one chicken. She just was super broody. And I was like, okay, chicken, I'm going to let you have some eggs. So I put seven eggs under her, you know, allowed her to lay seven eggs and and brood them. And I kind of forgot about her for a little bit. And I went and checked and there's freaking 30 eggs underneath her. I'm like, what? Kept going? No, she kept letting... I didn't see it happening, but she kept letting other chickens bump her off the nest and they would lay their egg in her nest. And then as soon as they left, she'd go get back on the nest. Oh my gosh. So so anyway, I was like, all right, forget about this. You know, there's no way these eggs are going to hatch properly because there's like 
there was new eggs being added to it. So I took all 30 of them, I picked them up and I candled them. And every one of them that was dark with a big, big air sac where you could tell it lost a lot of energy, I put them in the incubator and I just wrote the date that I put them in there. And then the ones that were either half developed or not developed or looked like they might be developing, I just set them aside and let them get cold and they died and and I feed those to Dub, my dog. But the ones that I put in the incubator, they just all started hatching the past couple of days. But the interesting thing about it is they didn't all hatch at the same time. It's like one or two will hatch a day. You know, oh, geez. How <laughs> yeah. do you work with that? <laughs> yeah, well, like you the just, first and the last chicks are going to fight. You just keep it going. Luckily, the time difference isn't too big. Yeah, if you if you get too great a, a distance in time, they will peck at each other. The bigger chicks will peck at the smaller chicks. But you know, darn, they're chickens. They are just um, some really robust creatures. I mean, talk about an animal that was built to survive. <laughs> Or crafted by us over the last couple thousand years to well, just that too. live. That too. So I'm a big fan of the green eggshells. And so there's two types of chickens that lay those green eggs, the black astrolop and then the araconda. And so I've got both. And now I've crossbred them. And it's interesting because... Um, some of the green eggs come out little black chicks and some of the green eggs come out, you know, these little, uh, they've got kind of a wild pattern to them. You know how you, like a, a wild young bird of that nature, a turkey. Yeah, dappled brown, light brown, dark yeah, brown. Yeah, they've got this light yellow with the brown dappling all over them. So they blend in really good. They come out like that. And then this year I decided I've, I had some problems because the roosters that are produced from these yard chickens are such a big animal. Like these roosters just get huge. I want to get some smaller genetics. So I went with a brown leghorn rooster, which is a lighter bodied rooster. And the leghorn lays more eggs, which is the reason I have the, the animal, oh, the, nice. the chickens in the, in the first place. Yeah, so here's, here's a crazy thing. Leghorns will lay up to 285 eggs a year. <laughs> yeah. Shoot. And some of your other chickens, like production reds, they'll lay 190. Like that's kind of an average from a chicken to lay 190 eggs a year. But when you mix in the leghorn, you get this hyper... Super layer. Super layer, yeah. And so, you, you know, you can get right up to that 100, 285, 290 eggs a year, which is pretty close That's to an nice. egg every day for all year long. Yeah. But anyway, it's a lighter bodied animal. And uh, the reason for that is because you got to really pay attention to your roosters tearing up your hens because, you know, they get on top of them and they mount them. And a rooster in a chicken yard is... Man, he's just constantly going at it. Just constantly going of at course. it. Of course. I feel like there they should become snake food. That rooster will mate five or six times an hour. What? And you'd be like, what? How? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Talk about a sex drive. <laughs> That's the life. <laughs> you know? Jeez. Talk about a sex drive. But yeah, the big old roosters like that, when we hatch out straight run like we do, we let the roosters get big and they uh, 
we do utilize them for Mama Lav. Right. <laughs> I'm sure she loves them. Oh, she does. Yeah. As a matter of fact, whenever I'm running short on food or I can't find rabbits, I'll just go get a roasting chicken from Walmart just to give her some protein. What? Yep. Are you serious? I'll feed her a 10-pound completely dressed roasting chicken. I just thaw it out, get what? it up to room temperature, put it in there. Oh, 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 oh. okay. I thought for a second there, I thought you meant the hot seasoned chickens at the front of the store. But no, no, oh, no, 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 no. The, the frozen ones at the back. <laughs> the frozen <laughs> ones in the back. Yeah. But yeah, she can devour. She just gulp it down. No head. Yeah, she can. She just gulps it down. No big. Oh, I didn't tell you. My reticulated python got ticks. What? Yes. So, you know, we've got these contracts with St. Charles and, and Jefferson County. We pick up the dead deer. Well, we just went through fawning season. And so... Oh, yeah. And so, Bunch you know, Mama Lab has no problem swallowing a, a whole fawn if we can get it fresh enough. So, this never dawned on me before. But, yeah, the ticks that are on these fawns, as she was eating them, they were just jumping off and going, huh, I think I'll just suck on you. And... uh and yeah, I was like, I was looking at her. I was like, what are those spots all What's over her, her head? You know? Yeah. Oh, bummer. And then the next thing I know, I was like, oh, damn, those are ticks. Well, the good thing about reptiles, they're easier to treat than even mammals are as far as ticks. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, how did you How did you get it? Uh, so I soaked her in a, a betadine solution that Tim Sullivan gave me the recipe for. And then as I was pulling her out and drying her off, I was just spraying 91% alcohol straight on the tick and just kind of rubbing them off and just kill them. They just fall off. Oh. Yeah. And the great thing about the, the betadine bath is it kills a lot of parasites, external parasites, you know, bacteria that you're not aware of, any type of um, mite. Yeah, it kills mites like crazy. But um, what's the other thing I'm thinking of? Fungus, any, any type of fungus that might be on, on them, oh. you know. A lot of reptiles don't have problems with funguses because, you know, the types of skins and the scales they have. And snakes, you know, they shed their skin. And a lot of the times that fungus, if they did have something on them, just goes with it. And the same thing with a lot of external parasites. As long as there's not an infestation in their enclosure... They can, they can slough off most of the stuff. In the wild, they probably just slough that stuff off and they just leave all their parasites wherever they shed. But in captivity, if they fall off and, they, and the parasites start to multiply inside your enclosure, then they're constantly being reinfected with those parasites. And so it's hard to get through them. I had all those specially made enclosures for the big snakes made. And um, what's that material called? Melene? Melanine? It's really great because it's not porous at all and easy to clean. And, you know, I've just got one seam that I have to deal with. And whenever we're clean and we work that seam first and then we wipe it down really good with vinegar and then we spray it down with 91% alcohol and then we just use mild soap and water, clean it out. And so you got a nice, fresh thing. And I'll tell you something else that we switched over to. We use puppy pads. 
in the bottom of the enclosures. And I'm going to tell you what, man, that's a game changer for reptile really? care. Yeah. How, uh, how deep are you going on a big snake? Like how many? Because I feel like how deep in one puppy pad. You put the puppy pad down, and you know, with the puppy pad, they're absorbent on one side, and then on the on the other side, they're a thin plastic material of some sort. We put one layer down, overlap it, and then we'll put a couple of rocks in there, you know, just to give them something to rub on and move around on, and then put their water bowl in it. And as the animal urinates, you know, poops, pees at the same time, whatever happens, then and a lot of times, you know, snakes, especially your bigger snakes, they'll pee, but they won't poop and pee at the same time. They'll just pee. And so those puppy pads just absorb all of it. Super easy to clean up. They don't stick to the bottom of the enclosure. And because they have that little weave to them, if you do have any problems with any types of parasites, they stick to the puppy pad. When you roll it all up, it's super easy to clean. Like, like I said, it's a game changer. And now the price on those puppy pads is so cheap. We get a box of 300 at Costco, the extra large puppy pads. I think it's like, they're like three cents a piece. But they last longer. They keep the, the cage smelling better. And they're way, way easier to clean. Way, way easier. I have to take your word for it because I've never used them for snakes, only actual puppies. <laughs> And I hated them for puppies. <laughs> I really did. They they work great for snakes. But I'll I'll promise you, once you use it once, you're gonna be hooked. Well, I mean, I've got a big snake. Maybe I'll give it a whirl. I probably still have some puppy pads left over from my last litter. Yeah. I have to throw some in there and see what I think. But right now I'm replicating the dry period. And so I'm feeding my Big, quote unquote, you know, she's maybe a third the size of Mama Lav. I'm feeding her once a month to kind of replicate the dry season and then replicate the rainy season this fall. See if I can trick her into uh, cranking out some babies, even though I don't have a male right now. Do you still have that phantom? I don't remember ever having a phantom. Yeah, I remember that one. I was like, Michael, you need to buy this. You're like, no, that's a dumb idea. But I just kept hounding you. And you're like, if you handle everything, then I'll pay for it. And I did. <laughs> he was a big yellow male. I've got a big yellow male. His name is... Uh, I'll take a picture of him and see if that's the one you're talking about. I remember there was one that was like a purple tiger. I had the purple phantom sent to you. It was like a year and some change ago. It was a while ago. It was more than a year and some change. I haven't bought a new snake in three years at least. Dude, it's 2022 right now. Three years ago would have been 2019. I know for a fact I didn't buy any snakes then. Oh. Yeah, that time that slips away that you were talking about. Perfect example right there. Sure, slipping. Talking about time slipping away, the NAFA meat is sneaking up on us. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel, dude. I feel like... So in, in like my timeline, there's elk hunt and then, you know, my usual fall elk hunt and then NAFA right after that. But uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's the last month of the year this year. So it's still six months away, but registration did just open up. And so it's time for us to start looking. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot registration did open up. I just saw that memo come across. 
I'm pretty excited about Lubbock, Texas. I, I like Lubbock. Yeah. It's easy to get to. It's not that far from me. There's always rabbits, cottontails, and jacks. Always game. Mm. So I'm looking to go with that. It'll be it's fun. It's always a big meet. It's always a fun meet. There's always a lot of game that's killed. You come home with a lot of food. Yeah, I might even get to see a falcon kill something this year. <laughs> I don't know about mine. I'll, I'll, have, I'll have just trapped a new bird while I'm out there. Well, actually, I'm going to do a Merlin this year. You know, I've considered, considered a Harris Hawk, but if I was going to do a Harris Hawk, I was only going to do a male out of my old pair, which you have. And it might happen, you know? This. They kept cranking them out for me. The summer is young. They might do it again. Yeah, they could. They might. I mean, they've been without eggs for three weeks now, probably. Okay. That's you're kind of getting close to the time where they might thinking about they might start thinking about breeding again. Yeah. Could happen. If they do, I'll probably put the eggs under Banshee because Sashki's just so big. Yeah, she just crushes them. She's just a hefty girl. If not, I mean, I'm, I really could go either way. I'm leaning a little bit more towards flying a Merlin because it's more time-consuming than a Harris Hawk, and I might as well fly the birds that are time-consuming now before I start the second half of, <laughs> of being an adult human, which is creating other humans. And I won't have as much time, right? You know, Harris Hawks don't take much time at all. Falcons do. So I might as well fly a few more before my life gets a little bit more busy and more hectic. Mm-hmm. And so I'm probably going to go trap another one just after Halloween, October, November. Oh, never mind. I should totally have a falcon on the wing by the time NAFA comes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, never mind. Huh. So maybe then. Yeah, because it's not to the first week of December. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That'll work out good. It's always just in my mind as third week of November, but now it's the first week of December. Yeah, that's going to be a little bit different and better. You know, I'm I'm glad they finally made some of these those changes like that. Yeah, dude, it's going to be colder. There's going to be more ducks for the duck folks. I mean, you know, colder, quote unquote, in Texas is never really cold. Right, right. But at least it won't be 100 degrees. Or 80. You know, we've hawked when it's been 70 and 80 before. That sucked. Yeah, that is not fun. No. I'm not a fan of hawk of dirt hawking in 80 degree weather. You know? Mm-mm. Plus, you know, just it's easier for weight control and the birds seem to respond better whenever it's colder. At least that's my expectation, excuse, or whatever you want to call it. So what do we have right now as far as actual chicks? Any or one or? We got one. One off of TC. It's doing pretty good. Are you going to fly that bird? We've got an owl chick. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's the plan. Okay. I'm going to fly a cast of three three Harris Hawks this year. I'm thinking I'm going to fly Jet and George. Um, I might fly Blackjack and George. That's a possibility too. That would be cool. Yeah. I would like for you to fly Blackjack. Yeah. He's my creation. And then uh, this hawk, maybe. We'll see how it works out. Definitely going to save the females. I'm going to keep them behind and let them just get fat, dumb, and happy. 
and uh, get ready for next year's breeding season. Luckily, though, um, Banshee and Sashki both seem to be able to handle a lot of, you want to call it? Comings and goings. Yeah. They, uh, a lot of distractions. Banshee's a really good incubator. I think I could have left her eggs with her. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll work it out. You know, I'm not doing breed the Harris Hawks for to sell them or anything like that. I just want a couple for myself just to keep my stock fresh, you know. And so it's a little bit of a learning curve going through it. But it's not as easy as what some people make it out to be. Like the Colsons make it seem so easy. But I remember Francie Forrester, she always just had a heck of a time. To yeah, the point dude. that she I've heard those stories. She got pretty frustrated a couple of years and she's like, I'm just not even gonna let them set anymore, you know? And she always did natural setting. She let all of her females set naturally. But she always had crushed eggs, she had stolen eggs. Like I remember one year she didn't hatch any because something kept getting in there and stealing her eggs and she never could find it. And she even changed what? the nests and how they were set up and everything. I mean, come on. What do you think? Uh, I'm sure it was a, a black rat snake. I mean, I'm, of course. I'm of course it was. 100%, dude. That's the only thing that's going to be able to sneak in there at night. Sneak in at night, spook the mom off the nest because like, what the heck was that? And they can't see it. So they fly away versus try to attack. And it's black, so it blends in, and it just gobble, gobble. Her setup, the way she had it, at night, it was black out at her house. I mean, it was dark. But at our facility, at our facility, we got lights going 24-7. Yeah. And so the Hawks, Harris Hawks actually have decent night vision. Yeah, well, the lights are so bright that you can plainly see. So if, if we had a snake in a... In an enclosure, the snakes, the hawks would definitely get it. Oh, speaking of snakes, so Ameren, the power company, just did a big project right behind the, the headquarters. You know that little alley space that was behind the headquarters that went from the road to the power pole? They just did a big project back there, and they tore that stuff up, man. I mean, they just tore it up. Well, they came in with this product It was a mesh that had straw woven into it and they put it down Uh so that for erosion control, dude, they caught and killed every snake anywhere. Uh. The snakes would try to crawl underneath that straw and they would get caught in the mesh, you know, because it was like a bird mesh, like a real thin bird mesh. Three-quarter inch squares. The stuff you put on, that people put on their gardens. Yeah, it was similar to that, but it was biodegradable. But it did not biodegrade quick enough. And one day we went out there, it was probably three or four days after they put the stuff down. I didn't even think about it. Like, there was nothing in me that said, hey, maybe you should go check that stuff every day. But anyway, we ended up finding like a dozen snakes caught in that stuff and dead already. A dozen? Yeah. And it was everything. Amazingly, I didn't even know we had so many or had so many blue racers around. Oh, man. Because there was like three or four blue racers in there. There was a couple of northern water snakes in there and a couple of larger garter snakes, eastern garter snakes. You should take pictures of all of that. Because, and 
I don't know, if, if you want to cause a rabble, you can actually get that product stopped being used because killing all those snakes, probably lizards too. Yeah, I think some bigger skinks could probably get caught in that. I could see where toads would get caught in it too. Yep, because they're walkers. They're crawlers, yeah. you know? So that stuff does tear pretty easy and it has a biodegradable half-life of two weeks or so. But it was still long enough to kill snakes. You know, it was it was strong enough to kill snakes. So yeah, we did we did take pictures and everything like that. And we do have a person that we deal with with Amarin because they call us out to trap the hawks in all their warehouses because they have a lot of warehouse facilities in space. And so they are conscious of these types of things. And we are planning on bringing it to their attention, but not raising a ruckus. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's just what's on people's top of mind these days. Even mine, a non-ruckus razor, is like, go after them on Twitter. Cancel them. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think cancel culture is much of a thing anymore. It is definitely dying off. People are tired of it. Well, yeah, people are tired of it. But also, you know, I think a lot of these big corporations found out that, guess what? They weren't serious. They might try to cancel Taylor Swift, but they're still buying her stuff. Cancel culture only works if you can get the big corpse to get scared enough. Oh, and fire people and pull sponsorships and stuff like that. That's, that's the only way it works, you know? So are you looking forward to being off on Monday? Not really. I mean, if I catch something, I'm still going to go get it. No, I'm good. So I uh, am blessed. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. With, yeah, right. I mean, this used to affect me way more than it does now. I would see people's vacation photos, right? And I would get jealous and I would be like, I want to go on a vacation. But then what you're not seeing is their everyday life photos that they hate or strongly dislike or just dislike. But you and I have crafted our everyday into stuff that we can post the daily photos about. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because it's sweet. And so even though I was like jealous of, you know, the beach, which, you know, the beach has its worth. You know, you like to go on cruises. I really enjoyed going to Hawaii a few years ago. I'd absolutely love to go back. And I will. I love that place. But I say that to say... That's not necessary, you know what I mean? And so the day off on Monday, we kind of have, you know what I mean, compared to like construction workers, right? or, you know, like backline cooks. It's seldom that we have eight hours of backbreaking work nonstop. Very seldom, very seldom. So a government mandated (laughs) day off, I'm all good, man, you know? If I have to go work five hours on that day, first off, it's because I'm making money. That's just the way we've structured the business. Second, I'm probably having a good time. You know what I mean? There's probably something pretty cool that I can film because it's awesome. Picking up a hawk or I caught seven skunks, you know, which isn't great, but still caught seven skunks. I'm all, I'm all good. You know, we can't do fireworks here. <laughs> So I can't like go and buy my own fireworks because all of the West Coast is in a drought that's lasted for the last five years. So eh, I'm good. I'm still going to work out. I'm still going to shoot my bow. I'm still going to walk my dogs, you know? Right. 
What about you? We're not doing anything special. I mean, we've got everybody's going to be off, you know, so I'm going to be filling in the gaps. But me and Bonnie really, we really don't do anything spectacular for for Fourth of July. We exercise our freedom in running the business. Our freedom to go and run the business. To exercise capitalism. Our freedom to do that, you know what I mean? And you can also be free to be a communist or a socialist. You're totally free to do that, you know what I mean? We are free to go and make our money because that's what we want to do. That's what America is about. It's your freedom to do whatever you want. You can just make it happen. Exactly. And I'm all about making it happen. How many times have you heard me say that? If I had to put a number on it, maybe high 800s, low 900s? At least. Or maybe more. I was At thinking least. thousands, more. but you know, who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mid-1500s. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Right. All right, we've done about an hour, so let's wrap this puppy up. So... Firstly and foremostly, go and check out our YouTube channel. It is popping off like crazy. We're getting over a thousand subscribers a day. It's yep. bananas. It was hilarious. The other day I saw a statistic that said you had 4.3 million views. That's 3.6 million views more than yesterday or something so right. stupid. <laughs> yeah. Just something so bananas. It's crazy because, you know, one of the statistics is in the last 48 hours, we've had almost a third of the views of the history of the channel in just 48 That's hours. That's crazy. Yeah, it was like it was like 2.4 million views in, in 48 hours. I'll start figuring out a, a best way to... I can figure out a way to do it so it's easier for you guys. You don't have to do anything. You just press a button and upload it to get the podcasts on there. Our podcasts up into the YouTube channel. It's just another, you know, it's another few uploads that you can throw into the machine basically to keep people coming. Yep. That's the plan. It's a good plan. All righty. Let me see. Check out our TikToks. They're still popping off. Yours is Bare Hands Baran and mine is Lone Star with two R's, Trapper. Cold Wide World, that's our videographer and freaking, you know, YouTube extraordinaire now. We can call him that. <laughs> Sure. He's earned it. He's, he has earned it. All righty, guys. Thank you guys for listening. If you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Really appreciate it. And leave us an awesome five-star review. It really does help out the channel. All righty, guys. Have a good one. Michael, any last words? Nope. Just make it happen. Get out there and make it happen. Make it. It's your life. <laughs> make it happen. Earn your 4th of July, folks. There you go. Have a good one. God bless. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, a.k.a. Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus, download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue, where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.